Okay, so if you clicked on, who was the story of Punchinello for today? Was it for the kids? No, it wasn't, was it? Because was that story just about kids? No, it wasn't. In fact, you hate that about the world, don't you? You hate the fact that within this world, it always seems a game where you're trying to establish yourself, your identity, your significance, your worth, your position. And it's a hard and tiring thing to do all the time, isn't it? And yet you're sort of addicted to it, a little bit like me. So even if you got up this morning and said, I am not going to be influenced by somebody's actions towards me, their opinions of me, whether they think that I'm worth something or not, if you were to walk in the back here, which some of you did this morning, perhaps having said that, and somebody was to be a bit offhand with a comment, you would be, hmm, it would affect you, wouldn't it? It just does. It affects you. And it's more than just the fact that, let's say somebody treats you badly. Let's, uh, let's go back to the good old-fashioned one, okay? Let's go back to the good old-fashioned one of, do you put the lid on the toothpaste properly? Do you roll it or do you squeeze it? Yeah? It's toothpaste. It is a teeth-cleaning product, and it comes in a tube of varying colours. If an alien was to fly down and look at, why have there been so many arguments over whether it's squeezed or rolled? Why has it wrecked so many marriages? Why have so many people who live together just fallen out over the toothpaste? It's because when you have an argument about something, you don't just do it on the basis of the merits of the argument. It's because something of your status, your position, your value, whether you're worth something, is tied up in it. So actually, don't the, the squeeze or the roll of the toothpaste tube, that argument isn't about the merit of the squeeze or the roll. It's actually, I'm me, and at some point or another, I should be listened to. And that whole thing comes into almost everything that we think about through the day. That's why we're so often so worried about what people think of us. Because we don't want to be thought of as worth nothing. We have to stand up for our rights, don't you know? That's why so often we'll go blazing at the authorities or somebody else who we feel has harmed us and done us wrong. They'll, we'll go after them because it's not so much about what they've said or done to us, it's the, it's the symbolism behind it. We seem to be in this world of stars and dots and approval and we're terribly fearful that we won't be viewed as valuable, as significant of position, that we will just slip into nothingness, you see. And here in this passage, what we've got is Paul saying, you, before you met Jesus, were powerless in that. You had no choice but to play that game. But now you've met Jesus, you can break free of it. Which one of us here wouldn't want to be able to walk out the back of that door at the end of the day, less affected by what people said about us, more able to keep ourselves under control when somebody comes against us, more able to spend less energy promoting our agenda and our kingdom, and more energy giving to others. We'd all love to be able to do that, wouldn't we? But it's as if there's a power over us. And so into this, that's where our Bible passage comes. So look down at chapter 2, verses 1 through to 5. We'll, we'll, I'll read it through, then we're going to comb through it and see a few things. And hopefully by the end of it, we'll see how meeting with Jesus changes everything about us. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, 
if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He's saying, when you have met with Jesus, verse 2 and verse 5 needs to be increasingly at work in your life. This is the command, okay? This is the command. Have the mind of Jesus. See there in verse 2? Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. See that like-minded? Okay, in a, in a different translation of the same Greek original, it's saying have the, uh, be the same minded. That word having the same love, being one in spirit. He looks at this church over in Philippi and said, look, when you met with Jesus, I think the, the closest uh, um, translation to that same love, being in one spirit and purpose, is to say, look, there's a bunch of people who are same souled. As in your soul. Not soul. You know, your soul. What makes you who, uh, who you are. There's something having met with Jesus, that means you've now together got a united attitude, mindset, way of looking at the the world, which is different to people who haven't met with Jesus. It's as if you may be living under the same horizon physically, but in your mind you're not living under the same horizon. You're living under a different horizon. It's a little bit like, I was trying to think of examples of this. It's like, I'm not very good with languages. And I try... And I think part of the reason I'm not very good with languages is when you learn a foreign language, you, you don't just learn a language, you learn a mindset. So there is a... When you, when you try to learn French, you don't just have to learn French, you have to sort of learn the way that French people think. Because the way you speak French is tied up with how you think French, yeah? Or if you want to... Same thing if you want to learn Spanish. And so, I mean, when we go on our holidays, we, I, I try as much as I can to try and speak with or watch people who are from Spain and see how they work. Their language is shaped by the way they look at life. Like there's that whole Spanish manana, manana thing, which is, don't worry, it will happen, don't worry, tomorrow we'll get it dealt with. Don't worry. And that comes into the way they speak, because it's all part of the way they think. Being Spanish just doesn't affect your language. It's all tied up with the way that you look at life. You see? It's the way that you think about everything. So when you're Spanish, you don't just... The only difference between a Spanish person and an English person isn't the fact that they just speak a different language. It's this whole outlook, this mindset. They think about relationships slightly differently. They think about work slightly differently. They think about uh, money slightly differently. All slightly different because that's the horizon that they're under. And here, Paul is effectively saying, have a Jesus language. A Jesus shape to your life. Let, let that... Reshape everything. Reshape the way you think about relationships, about people, about what's valuable. And that's the big command. He says, look, do this, okay? And the place where it will be seen the most is the way you think about yourself. The language of anybody from any country, the mindset from anybody of any country, wherever you're from, if you're on planet Earth, who hasn't met with Jesus is, according to this, can you see it at the beginning of verse 3? Selfish ambition or vain conceit. Putting you at the centre of your own universe. Have you seen that? Naturally, to be honest with you, it's the same with people who've known Jesus as well. Sometimes we put ourselves at the centre of our own universe too, don't we? 
But here Paul is saying that the more you let Jesus into your life, the more you become aware of who he is. The way you think about yourselves compared with others, the, play, the way you do the stars and the dots thing, the way that you go and try and put stars and your dots on yourself, because actually, you know that story that we saw there about Punchinello, it's all about how we treat other people and we put stars and dots on other people, but actually the thing that causes you the most stress, the most burden, is not your worries from other people, it's the, it's the things you tell yourself, isn't it? Here's Paul is saying, is once you've met with Jesus, you will get a whole new way of looking of who you are as a person that in turn will change you from being somebody who's all about me to somebody who is all about them. You will have, verse 5, your mind and your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In fact, I'll just change that. That that attitude, it's trying to communicate, it's been very helpful here by the translators, trying to get this idea of... um, you know, it, it, it's an inner thing, it's an attitude that you have. But in the ESV, I think it helpfully says this. Have this, in verse 5, have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, you get a new mind when you meet with Jesus. Okay? So here I am, standing at the front, yelling. Paul says here, if you're a Christian, have this new way of looking at life. That's all very well to see, to yell at us, try that. But I've tried. And I can't help but think about me more than other people. I can't help but worry about my position. I can't help but worry about what people think of me. I can't help but fear if people are sort of not giving me the measure of respect I should, I should do. I can't help but try and big up myself sometimes. I can't help but try and do the opposite of that, which is hide away in case people see what I'm really like. I can't help but do that, Steve. You're saying here, have this common mind that we're actually about other people, not about ourselves anymore. We live under a different... How do I do it? And I just want to say, it's impossible. And that's what we're being told here. It's impossible. Unless you meet with Jesus. First of all, let's see how it's impossible. Then let's see how it gets dealt with in these verses when you meet with Jesus. Okay? So how is living with other people at the centre of your life rather than yourself impossible? Well, it tells us there. Let's go back to verse 3 and verse uh, 4 again. This is sort of the opposite of the Jesus mindset. It's in verse 3. It's the, it's the natural mindset we all find ourselves. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, so this is the opposite, consider others better or actually probably closer to significance. But in, hum, uh, in humility, consider others better or more consi- uh, significant or of a higher position than yourselves. This is the verse that came up the other night. Remember Nicky when we talk about it. It's about how you view the value of people. So look, do nothing out of selfish ambition. What is selfish ambition? Well, I was helped by listening to a preacher from the States earlier in the week who was talking about this. And it's, it's sort of like rivalry. It's about trying to get a name for yourself. It's actually from the word, sorry, the word comes as hyperfighting. You get that? So he said it things like this. He said, he described it like this, it's, it's okay um, to fight for your life in order to be able to secure yourself and make yourself safe. But if you make your life about fighting, about always feeling you've got to defend your corner, always got to be, always being ready to ask the question of who am I, what am I like, how can I always be making a name for myself? Do you see, what, do you see that? That's selfish ambition. It's basically making you the centre of your life, your concerns. So much so that... If you see an injustice done about somebody else, 
you'll be sad for them and perhaps you'll try and get involved. But if it's an injustice done against you, you're ready to fight and pull out all them secret weapons and you'll be straight at it and you won't be able to let it lie. You'll have to get on the phone and go around to the house and sort it out straight away. But if it was an injustice against somebody else, you'd be, you'd be concerned, but you wouldn't be that bothered. Why? Because you've got selfish ambition. And it's the stuff of all of our society. It's just the way we're trained to think and to look at life. So if you, you noticed only, I was, I was thinking about this as I was watching some of the music videos that are on at the moment. Have you noticed that the popular theme of the music video at the moment is being the centre of attention? Okay? So there's that song recently, I think it was not the, but da, as in D-A, because that's just the trendy way to spell it. Da club can't handle me right now. Why? Because I'm bigger than anybody at the club. And what was the video made up of? The stage with all the minions dancing around and the superstar in the middle, all lights on him. I'm bigger than everybody else. Yeah, baby. He even danced like that. Brilliant. No, he didn't. Okay. You get the idea? I'm constantly reciting to adverts to you about how they try to put you at the centre so you believe the hype about you. Why? Because you and me, what's our favourite subjects? Me, you, us, ourselves, you see? We're always really, really worried about how anything affects our image, our status, our significance, our position. Why? Because we have this nagging fear at the back of our hearts and our minds that we're not worth anything. It's as if we're significance and value hungry. It's as if we're looking for something that says, yes, you're all right with me. Yes, you have got some worth. And so what we do is we try and defend it. So we've seen selfish ambition or vain conceit. Apparently the, um, uh, the old, uh, the, the old uh, authorised version of the Bible is very helpful on this. It uses the phrase, vain glories. So what we do is we commit ourselves to try and find something that's, you know what glory means, I tell you this every week, it means well, uh, it, means, it means significance, it means worth, it means weightiness, it, mean, it means immovability, something that is, you want to grab a hold of and hold on tight to it. So here Paul's saying that so often what we do is we will commit ourselves and act to pursue vain glories that will make us feel worth something. So we will have to win the argument, and if I don't win the argument, I don't feel like I'm much. Reason goes out the window. I have to have the nice thing so I can feel like something. I have to... And we will battle and we will fight and we will do that just so we feel worth something because anything other than what we were made to grab a hold of and lay hold of and build our hope and our life and our significance won't do it. Winning an argument won't make you feel worth something. It will for a little while and then it will just be the next argument. Having that wonderful dress? Work for a little while, but then you'll just need another one. Why? Because the glory we were made to lay hold of is knowing God himself. So you saw how in the, with the Wimmicks, and they went for their vain glories, like, if I could just get enough stars, then I'll feel worth something. Or I've just got to do everything I can to avoid the little grey dots. And that we carry into every situation we go into. That's why people fight over toothpaste tubes and the way you do it. That's why sometimes when you, <laughs> you'll notice this, when you watch two people argue, it's amazing, isn't it? You stand back, if you're outside of the argument, if you're not involved in it, you look back and you can just take it apart piece by piece and say, well, why don't they just admit that? Why don't they just admit that? And why don't they just shake hands and get over it? 
But it's because there's more invested there, isn't there? It's easy to do that when you look on somebody else, but when you're in the middle of it, you feel trapped, you feel isolated, you can't see a way out. Reason? Why? Because your pride's invested in it. Who you are, your significance, your glory is tied up with being right and being worth something. I'm so scared that people will treat me as if I'm nothing, I'm just a wisp to be passed away. And so that's why it's incredibly hard to try to have this mind of Christ. It's incredibly difficult. It is impossible to put others before yourself. It's impossible. Can you see why? Because you need a name, you need a status, you need acceptance, you need to know you're worth something. All your energy for serving has to go into serving your name, your energy, your time. It's impossible unless you meet with Christ. Look at verse 1. Look what he's done. Look what he's done. And Paul looks at them and says, okay then. And he says, if. And he says it almost like as if to say, and of course these things are true for you if you're a Christian. Okay? He says, if you have had any encouragement from being united with Christ, which if you are a Christian you will have, and I'll come back to what it means in a minute. If you have any comfort from his love, which you will do if you're a Christian. If any fellowship with the Spirit, which you will have if you're a Christian. If any tenderness and compassion, which you will have if you're a Christian. If you've got those things, then the power that stops you living for the good of others and for their significance is knocked away. It's rolled away. You see that? Why? What's happening here? If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, Christ is the one who is of ultimate worth and value. He was the one we were made to get excited about. He's not vainglory. He's the exact opposite. He is an ultimate worth. And he, from eternity past, and we'll find out about this in, uh, next week more, he said, I will come and I will save you and join you to myself. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You haven't got enough stars or you haven't got too many dots. I will come and grab a hold of you and declare you right with me. You cannot get a higher status than that. It's not one you've earned, it's one that he has given to you. So are you encouraged by being united with Jesus? Yeah! Every day I try and find a little strategy to smell myself worth something. Why don't I just sit there and think on Jesus, knowing what I'm like, grabbed a hold of me, and he has united me to himself for now and all eternity. Me winning an argument over a toothpaste tube can't do that. Jesus has drawn me to himself. What about the next one? Any comfort from his love? Yeah, you better believe it. The comfort from his love of knowing that even when I don't measure up, even when I'm not lovable, his love is not based on my lovability, but on the depth of his character and his love. See, when I have a bad day, I can feel utterly unlovable. When I mess up in front of my kids and my wife, I wonder what they're going to say. What happens when... They speak to me in a way that's as if they don't love me. I just feel worthless. And then I look up and I see the cross and say, hold on, I've got a love that nobody can take away from me. That my poor performance or other people's cruelty cannot take away from me. I am loved forever. Whoa, I must have significance. I'm joined to Christ. I've got significance. I've got position. Wow, nobody can take that from me. I'm loved eternally. What else here? If any fellowship with the Spirit... That's talking about how when, when Jesus comes into your life, he starts by his spirit to sort of change your mind. Fellowship means partnership, a oneness together. It means that you start to look at things 
slightly different. Whereas before, you weren't bothered if you spoke that way, acted like that. And the idea of a conscience, the only conscience really you ever offended was against yourself. But now you've got, hold on, now I've trusted in Jesus, I'm bothered about the things that he's bothered about. I love the things that he loves about. When I sin, it bothers me. Whereas before, I, I, and when you experience that in your life, you're like, whoa, I'm beginning to see with a new set of eyes. Now that's an encouragement. What about the next one? If any tenderness and compassion. When you taste the tenderness and compassion that the Lord God has loved, lavished on us. You know, and often we talk about that key verse that comes out of the Old Testament. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness. In, order, in other words, how has he acted towards me? Did he fly off the handle, like I would have done? Did he flip out every time I mess up? No, he's slow to anger. He's the exact opposite of me as a father. I wish I was more like God. But you get this idea. He's gracious and patient beyond imagining and merciful to us. And suddenly, when you start taking in that and saying, hold on, he's giving me a significance. I don't need to be so concentrated on loving myself as if I ever could because I know he has loved me. He is actually in me, at work, giving me a mind like him, and he fills me with awe at his compassion and tenderness. I don't have to play the game of trying to build my own significance. I don't have to build my own little petty kingdom and declare to the world I'm flying the flag for Steve Casey. Why? Because the Lord's done it for me. Paul here is looking at that church in Philippi saying, do you want to know how you're going to stand out for Jesus? You'll stand out for Jesus, first and foremost, because you just live almost as unbreakable. You live and you're not playing by the same set of games. You're not sticking stickers on people. You're not, you're a lot slower to jump in. Well, before you just reacted, where's the danger? Who's knocking me? Who's threatening to me I love? But you're patient and you're slow and you're tender and you're gracious with people because Christ has secured you and you're safe in him. And so he just lays it out simply. Listen, now you've met with Jesus, now you've got this same soulness, now you lot together as a church are trying to be like this and take more of Jesus into your life like this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility and humbleness, knowing that you needed to be rescued too, you're not surprised others, others need it too, consider others with more significance than yourself. Instead of fighting your corner, act for them. Love them, even your enemies. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So, as I try to wrap this up and say, what have you got to go away with? How, how do you work this in? Number one, this is number one. You'll be aware, you need to go out into your world and into your own life and look at yourself in the mirror and be aware that the natural default setting, the mindset of your and my heart is look out for number one. You'll hear the message pumped at you. I was speaking to one of the pastors of the Christ Church in Liverpool and he said he's been greatly helped on this one by his wife and given a ready example of this. His wife challenged him to go and buy some of the women's magazines, you know, the Cosmo and all of that kind of thing. And I can't even remember. Give me an example of some of the other ones. Uh, the gossip ones, what are they like? Take them off Chat, all of those, yeah. Eat, all of them. And the challenge was, go to them. Don't pick, don't pick, just go to anyone at random and go to the problems page at the back. And whatever the problems page is, 
there'll be one piece of advice. What is it? Come on, ladies, you read it so many times. What's the only? It's a very easy thing to get a job. It's like an agony art in one of those. You only have to give one piece of advice. What's the one piece of advice that fixes every one of the problems? Trust in yourself and do what's right for you. And we're getting told that that's the way to life. And we see people and relationships and lives in utter mess and carnage because some noggin who's got a PhD in something or other that makes no difference is going around telling people the answer to life is just to go where your heart leads you, do what's right for you, trust in yourself. And then we're left with a raft of women all over the UK who feel terribly guilty. It doesn't work! We live in a world where we will be told to put self-interest, self-pursuit, self-aggrandizement, self-promotion, big up yourself, bro, will be the message of our culture and all of us. And you first and foremost need to go out of this room knowing that Jesus says that's not the way you made. You're made to live a servant to serve other people. The second thing you need to go do as you go out of this room is know that you cannot do that by screwing yourself up. You've tried, haven't you? I will be good today and I will not be bothered by what people say and it doesn't work. Because before you, can, before you can be set free from what has bound you, you've got to go to the one who has set you free and, and put before your eyes and before your heart what it is he's done for you so you know you're free and you know you've got significance and you know you're loved. You don't need to go around demanding it from everybody else. In fact, the energy that you gave to demanding it from everybody else, you can actually go and say, I'm going to use that energy to serve you. You've got a ready-made argument. Next time somebody comes against you and you're ready to go to write pistols at ten paces, you're able to slow it down and say, I'm going to have brought an awful lot of me into this. This isn't just about the facts and the reasons. I just need to put up before my eyes who Jesus is. In fact, he says to us by his spirit, doesn't he? He says, slow down. Why are you so bothered? I've given you eternity. I've paid for all your sins that would rob you of glory. I've paid for it and set you free. Take a chill pill. Paraphrasing what Jesus might say. Take a chill pill. Don't worry. It'll sort itself out. And even if it doesn't, nobody can take you out of my hands. You're mine forever. And it means, the third thing it means, is as we go out of here, we together will be working on that mindset together. What have we called this series of messages coming out of the book of Philippians? Together for the gospel. Paul envisages a community of people who are all working towards having that same mindset. Oh, and it's a bumpy ride. Because guess who he's going to test it on first? It's almost as if you like, test it amongst yourselves a little bit first before you go out and do too much damage out there. So when you walk into church, you won't be hearing, you won't be walking in at the back next week going, here am I. You'll be going, there are you. How can I love you? How can I serve you? You'll be thinking, how can I encourage somebody? How can I sit by somebody who's on their own? How can I make sure I go out my way to serve? Because that is the mind that we've got in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We will if we're taking Jesus into ourselves by our humility and our willingness to not always fight at our corners if it's the most precious thing we will become a people who are attractive it won't be because we get it right 
it will be because we admit we don't have to. Do you see the difference there? So when you get irritated with somebody, which you will, slow it down. When you find yourself can't be bothered, why bother going and encouraging that person? Why pick up the phone? Why to go to that event? Why tell them what I've read in the Bible? You'll think, he came for me with tenderness and compassion. I don't need to be protecting myself. I've got a bit of spare energy to be serving and loving them and showing them how significant they are through Jesus. You see? Now, we've been blessed with the opportunity now, as I finish that up. I'm going to... I barely touched it. We've got to go back over it next week with verses 5 through to 11. We can't do that now. But we've been blessed with an opportunity of no pianist, which means we can't sing the two songs. We're going to look through them. And rather than sing them, we're going to hum them in our head. Okay? But before we do that, this gives us an opportunity.